Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russ, and I serve as the host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, you have just started a new series on the book of Revelation. You've been threatening to preach through this for decades. Now you're finally living up to your threat. How's it going, my friend? John, we're having a marvelous time. You know, it's just interesting. I, I've been studying this for years, but intensely studying it recently. And it's amazing. I, I have been telling people I'm learning so much. It's like I'm putting the Bible together for the first time and understanding it better. I feel like I'm in kindergarten. And yet when it came time to teach it, I was scared. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> You know, there's such a volume of information out there, the interpretation that I no longer agree with. And so it's kind of a weird deal to teach that. But so far, the people of God have been saying they are blessed by the study. And that's what it promises. It's the only book in the New Testament with the promise that you'll be blessed if you read it. So kind of the conviction, John, that if we're not being blessed, if we're afraid or confused, maybe we're not interpreting it correctly. So that's how we're going. It's a lot of fun so far. Well, I'm pleased to hear it. And hopefully we'll have all those uh, messages up on our website soon. If it takes us a little time, and since Frank and I are really technology neophytes, you can check those out on the Grace Life Fellowship Baton Rouge website and their YouTube channel. And if you've just joined us today for the first time, Frank and I have been chatting our way through Paul's epistle to the Colossians. And Frank, and we last finished up, we were in chapter two. And I want to begin by just summarizing all the things that Paul has told us here all the things that are ours in Christ. And throughout this chapter, he's been kind of reading down through like a resume, uh, kind of like our resume, but it's not a list of what we've done, Frank. It describes what he, our Lord, did for us, those of us who has trusted, to have trusted him as Savior. And here's just a punch list, my friend. We're complete in him. We lack nothing. We've received the circumcision without hands. That means we're completely separate from the power of sin. It no longer controls us, Frank. And when we sin, we must willingly choose to do that. Our identity has so completely changed because we were buried with him in baptism. We were crucified with him, raised to new life. He forgave us, Frank, all of our trespasses, completely canceled the record of debt that was against us. And my friend, it was a huge debt. You know that. All of us owed our life. We owed death. But that was paid by Jesus, who literally became our curse over us. And Frank, he didn't just let our curse fall on him and slough it off like it was nothing. He actually became a curse for us. And if you remember last time, that's where we left it. And neither one of us had a real clear picture about what it means for God to become a curse. That's where we left us. So I don't have any new insights. Do you before we begin today? Oh, my goodness. 
I would maybe summarize it. That's probably the best way to do it, John. He took upon himself the experience of all the negative fruit of sin. Maybe that's the best way to say it. So as God, he experienced shame, guilt, trauma, abuse, sexual abuse, hanging naked on a cross. And we could just go on and on and on. Maybe the fruits, the rotten fruit, maybe the best way to say it, of sin. He personally experienced them all as man and yet as the Holy One of God himself. He was able to live in our world, you know, and experience everything that our world throws at us. And, you know, John, the, the amazing glory out of that is that now he's become our sympathetic high priest. Oh, yeah. This is going to sound heretical. Careful, but, careful, careful. <laughs> but God truly didn't know our experience because he never experienced it. You've quoted many times that passage from Hebrews, you know, where he kind of learned to become the Messiah, was equipped to be the Messiah. And that was by experiencing life on this planet as a human being. That's right. So he learned obedience for the things he suffered. And so he did indeed suffer through the struggles of a fallen world, dealing with uh, people who were struggling with sin, and then bearing the entire penalty of every single sin for all mankind for all time on that cross we st i still don't know what happened when he when he died but uh, the good thing is that he was resurrected again and frank he gives that same life to us and as we begin here in verse 15 of chapter 2 he continues after he did all this for us frank he did one more thing something amazing he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by personally triumphing over them. Wow. So he actually had a parade. I did some reading, my friend, and I learned something about an event called the Roman Triumph. This was the highest honor a Roman general could ever receive. It's when they awarded him a grand procession through Main Street, Rome, and there was a parade of all the prisoners and all the captured treasures and this was done to basically guarantee eternal fame for the conquering general. This is what our Savior did for us, Frank. He made a public display that all his enemies were defeated. Wow. So what does this mean for us in the terms of our spiritual warfare, my friend? I mean, this is important for us to understand, but why? Oh, John, I'm glad you asked that because as you were talking, my mind was in fourth gear. Um, that same idea is then found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and the very same word used. God causes us to always triumph. And then he adds this thought that we are an aroma of life to those who believe the gospel when we bring it to them but that we are an aroma of death to those who refuse to believe the gospel that we bring them. And so when you look at the Roman triumph, it's very fascinating, John. Uh, the first thing they would do is the parade would begin with all the spoils of war. 
the gold, the silver, the precious jewels, all, all the plunder, the horses, the oxen. And, you know, the crowds would line the streets and they would have incense and flowers. So there was an aroma to this parade. And so that all of the spoils would, of course, you know, stir up the crowd to a frenzy. And then the Roman army would come in. Now the applause, the thunder, all amidst that aroma. Then the conquering general comes riding down, of course, to the applause. But behind him would be the conquered king and the conquered general. So this parade, this Roman triumph was life to those who conquered, but it was death to those who got conquered. So John, when that parade went through the streets of Rome and that aroma of the incense and the flowers, it spelled life to the conquering army and the conquering king, but it spelled death to the conquered general and the conquered king because they would be beheaded at the end of the parade. And so Paul takes this imagery of that Roman triumph and here's the mind-boggling thought, John, almost puts you to tears, certainly puts you to wonder. Jesus is the conquering general. He put a triumph on and paraded his victory, and he also paraded the defeated enemy. But then we are so in union with him that the Holy Spirit takes that same idea of triumph and says, that's true of us too. And we are an aroma of life, but we're also an aroma of death. And John, when you and I ponder that, I don't know about you, but I almost just want to say, Lord, I don't want to be that kind of aroma. <laughs> you know what I mean? In fact, Paul ends that passage by saying, who's sufficient for these things? I mean, it's just mind boggling. <laughs> it truly is. And you know, Frank, when I think about this, my mind runs to a spiritual warfare attack. And I just wonder what this verse says about the real power of our enemy. I know what Hollywood says, and I know what the TV programs say. But uh, when I think about those conquered prisoners, you know, what could they really do? They could do nothing of their own accord. They could do only what their conqueror allowed them to do. And Frank, I think this is so important that we understand this in the context of spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't just run free doing whatever he feels like doing. He's permitted to do everything he does. Just read Job chapter one, man. He is under God's authority, fully subservient to the father. And so when we read things like first Peter five, he's like a roaring lion. Well, he's not a roaring lion. He's just like a roaring lion, but he's a phony man. He's got no teeth, but I tell you what, he is an excellent liar who crafts those perfectly tailored deceptions just for us. So he can really look like a lion, can't he? But really, he does only what our father allows him to do. So he's really kind of like a dog on a chain, isn't he? Yes, it is, John. And, and this is the mind-boggling thought. Jesus did the conquering and we get to share in the victory. Yes. And, and we don't have to fear Satan anymore. You mentioned 1 Peter 5. He's like a ravening, roaring lion. The key word there is like. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned he has no teeth. But, you know, it's interesting. I had a friend of mine who spent a lot of time in Africa. And he was telling me about this passage. And this is what he said. 
he said, Frank, you don't need to fear the lion that's roaring. He says, that lion is letting everybody know that he's there. He says, the one you need to fear is the lion that's quiet. Ooh. He says, that's the one that will ambush you. And the thing about Satan, I don't see him keeping quiet. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's lying. He's lying all the time. He's probably got the wrong methodology. If he'd be quiet, we might be more susceptible to his, his wares. But uh, he's lying all the time. Unfortunately, we have the truth of the word of God to refute those lies. Well, you hit a really good point there, my friend. You know, Peter commands us in that same passage to be sober, to be diligent, to always watch out because he can look like a lion. But, you know, Paul told us he can look like an angel of light, too. So we don't really know how he's going to show up. But we know that when he does show up, he is going to be lying. And it seems, Frank, that this is where our battle really is. It's a battle for truth versus the lie. Is it? Now, I know you've talked about that many times over the years. But how important is truth in being able to keep our balance in a jungle full of roaring lions? <laughs> Well, John, you have hit on the supreme issue. And unfortunately, so many people in the body of Christ don't in that because they have sat under Pastor Hollywood. And I say that facetiously, the movie industry, you know, that puts out this massively powerful demonic forces and the poor little spiritual man holding up his cross, cowering in fear. And that's a lie. We are not in a power struggle with Satan. He doesn't have any power. We're in a true struggle. And that's why it's so important for us, like Paul exhorted young Timothy, to study so that we would show ourselves approved, tested, reliable, confirmed, because we rightly handle the word of truth. Like he said in 2 Timothy 3, the scriptures were given to us to provide us a thoroughness and adequacy to be able to live in this world as more than a conqueror. Because if God said it, it's true. We need to believe it. We need to act on it. And that will, by necessity, refute the lie. And that's the key. John, in his final prayer, that high priestly prayer of John 17, said this, set them apart in your truth. And your word is truth. And that's why ORH exists, John. That's right. Right. We're here because we want to proclaim truth. That's right. And, you know, Jesus said in John 8, the truth shall make you free. No, he said, knowing the truth will make us free. So the truth is out there. But mm -hmm. it's our job, as you just said earlier in, from Timothy, to study, to show yourself approved, to learn, to plow into this, to get to know. In fact, that's what know is. It's gnosko. It means come to know, to grow into your Grow into your truth clothes, basically, is a way of saying it. Grow into this truth, and as you do, you'll be a whole lot more comfortable in distinguishing the subtle lies of the enemy so that you can walk in peace and freedom that Jesus died to give us. Wow. Cool stuff, man. And here, as we jump on to verse 16, he says, you know, because all this is true. Paul says, I'm going to boil this all down to you. This is how it's going to help you. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So these kind of seemed a little out of place to me, Frank, when I first read through this. But as I thought about it, they're really not. Because all these truths about what Jesus did 
in us and for us and how he paraded his conquered enemies uh, for all to see. They're there for a reason. They're there so that they become our foundation for standing strong against the bondage of legalism. And Frank, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about legalism in the church and how it's manifested. And boy, Paul's really clear here. This is a command. Let no one pass judgment. Don't let don't anybody bully you about mm. food or drink or about anything related to uh, our identity in Christ. Frank, this is just so important because it's the foundation on which we stand for who we are as God's kids, isn't it? Mm -hmm. John, this is ultimately going way back to the book of Genesis, when man chose a performance system, an achieving system, by eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And man ever since has been living by a method. Don't do the bad thing and only do the good thing. The problem is the entire world lies under the lie that we shall also be as God. And so there's a lot of little gods out there that are telling us you have to do this as the right thing and don't do that as the wrong thing. And then you got somebody else come along and, and say the exact opposite, but they are functioning as the key word, the judge. And a judge is somebody who renders a verdict. The problem is the verdict is from their own carnal mind that has been programmed out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they will offer a verdict of either acceptance or condemnation based on how well you perform their little rules. Oh, yeah. And, oh, John, uh, the, almost the entire world is locked into this. Oh, yes, indeed. There's an old podcast you and I did last year, two years ago, where we talked about legalism in the church, uh, liberating the church which is with his life, I think was the name of that series, and the experiences that we had in coming up against these expectations for behavior. As we, you know, we're trying to understand Christ's life and teach it to our body, it was just amazing. So I encourage our listeners to go back and look up that old series. It should be available on wherever you find podcasts. As I look at this, Frank, it says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. Now, I did a bunch of looking up, as I usually do, of different verses, and I found lots of verses on food, Frank. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I found almost nothing on drink. In fact, I found a restriction in Leviticus 10 not to have strong drink before you go to the tent of meeting. I saw restrictions in number six in Judges 13 on if you made a Nazarite vow. And then Proverbs 21, wine's a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And if you let yourself get drunk, you're not re really being very wise. But that's all there is. But this seems to be, Frank, one of the premier points where the modern church goes above and beyond Scripture in mm. adding some of these other external regulations about behavior uh, when Scripture doesn't come anywhere near close to the position they're taking, is it? That's true, John. In fact, we've got other passages like the one with Paul to Timothy. Apparently, Timothy had a stomach issue and Paul told him to drink a little wine for that. And then the one that I use, which shocks most of these religious people, is Proverbs 31. John, everybody knows Proverbs 31 is the godly woman chapter. Every husband memorizes it and quotes it <laughs> to his bride. But nobody looks at verses five and six. 
where it says, you know, if your heart is heavy, drink a little wine. And if you're really grieving, drink some strong drink. The wine and the strong drink were our Old Testament Prozac, Valium, Lithium. They didn't have the pharmaceuticals, but they had the alcohol. And the Holy Spirit, John, this is really important, sanctioned the use of them when somebody was hurting. So, yeah, you're right. The problem is, the key is the next verse, John. These things are just shadows Yes, life. They don't bring life. They promise life. They promise that you'll be righteous and all of that, but they don't deliver. There's only one substance of life, and that's the life that God himself has that he shares with us through faith in Christ. Everything else is just an external. And, you know, John, I couldn't help but think of the words of Jesus when he said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what's on the inside. And that inside is either a heart that is a heart that was born in Adam, desperately wicked, deceitful beyond all things, or through faith, a brand new heart created by God himself, which is a good and beautiful heart. So it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. You know, that verse 17 is so powerful, Frank, because it looks back on all these old covenant pictures, the word pictures that father gave throughout what we call the Old Testament. And Paul says, they're just a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is verse 17. Interesting. I looked up that word shadow, Frank, you know what it means? It means shadow. (laughs) It means it's a vague, dim outline. I call it a rough sketch. So these were just rough sketches, just little snapshots of what's to come. But so many people in the modern church get tied up focusing on the sketches that they miss the truth. Let me take a moment and express my experiences with some folks I know personally, an entire family and a group of others who are like-minded. They call themselves the Hebrew Roots Movement. Mm. And uh, they're believers, but they celebrate only the Jewish holidays. You know, Mm. they don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate Easter because they have allegedly pagan roots. So it's interesting. When I asked them about this, they said, yeah, yes, they acknowledge the resurrection. They just don't acknowledge it on a specific day, which I thought was odd. Uh, Mm. They give gifts. But not on December 25th. They do it on January 6th, on Epiphany, what we used to call uh, Orthodox Christmas. But, you know, January 6th has no more biblical support than December 25th. And as I looked at the lives of these people, Frank, by focusing only on the shadow, on these rough sketches, they have become very bound up, very performance-oriented, about a one or two on a 10 scale of freedom. And so it's important that we that we turn away from the sketches and we focus on Jesus because that's the only only way that the freedom that he died to give us is going to be manifested in our lives, isn't it? You no, know, John, you know, I was listening to you and his idea of shadows, the thought that popped into my mind was, you know, you can't have a shadow unless there's a light somewhere and the light is the light of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a verse in John 1, and the word order is very specific, written by the Holy Spirit, John. He didn't say in him was light, and the light was the life of men. He said it the other way around. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, 
you're not going to have any light if you don't have his life. And if you don't have any light, you're going to be living in darkness. If you're living in darkness, you're going to count things really important that are unimportant. And John, all this is wrapped up in what I would say are two different ways of living, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. The religion of human achievement or the religion of divine accomplishment. And I hate using the word religion, but that's what speaks to our modern world. There are only two ways of doing business with God. You either have human achievement, and by the way, John, that's every religion on the face of the earth. Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, Mormonism, Catholicism, uh, apostate Christianity, uh, which was a lot of Baptist, Presbyterian. Anytime you have the focus on human achievement to gain merit before God, you're on the wrong road. The only other road available is the road of divine accomplishment, where God has done it all. And tying it back to verse 15 today, John, he did it all. He disarmed the enemy and all that list of things you brought to us. And, you know, maybe that list is sensitive. It had to be said this way on the cross. It's finished. Nothing else can be done. He did it all. Amen. And Frank, that is a perfect way to wrap up today's episode. Thank you for that summary. I didn't even have to ask you for it. And friends, uh, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. So we've been chatting our way through the book of Colossians. Father has ministered to you today in any way. Please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website. You can find a way to contact us there. You'll also find a bunch of articles, devotionals, ebooks, newsletters, etc. All there with a single purpose, which was to highlight the incredible truth as Jesus Christ as our life, as Frank said, and that life is the light of men. Don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram. Check out our YouTube channel. Like and subscribe. We'll be having some new stuff there uh, very soon. And of course, uh, we humbly ask for your prayers as we labor to bring the life of Jesus Christ to the body of Christ. We ask that you would pray with us, pray for us, and if Father leads, that you would support us financially. And as always, we close with this same reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope in his first epistle. We call it a resolute hope because it's steadfast and immovable and it's bedrock, never changing. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.